Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. This morning, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. Thank you for joining us this morning for worship as we just celebrate this special Sunday. Our call to worship this morning is found in Isaiah 53, 3 through 6, where Scripture says that he, speaking of Jesus, was despised and rejected by man. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, do what we could not do. And we thank you, Lord, for the tomb is empty, Lord, and we stand here rejoicing, looking for the resurrection in which we will be united with you. Lord, be with us this morning. You grant us your favor along with your mercy. We praise in the name of your Son. We're going to finish up our eighth Lenten reading that happens to be on Easter Sunday. Where we say, He is God. He cannot stay dead. He is alive, amen? The true glory of God shines in the world. The light has won. The eternal light, the bright morning star, the light of the world. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And instead of now, we have taken each week and have extinguished the candles, we now begin to light them as we recognize that Christ is alive. Scripture tells that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they were thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by His blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and not shifting from hope, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
And with this, I'll say the phrase, and most of you know the answer to it. When we say, the Lord is risen, we respond in saying, the Lord is risen indeed. Let's try that again. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Would you join with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you are the mighty, most excellent God over all of creation. And we come before you to humbly give thanks for your compassion and your mercy towards us this morning. Oh, it is finished. Thank you for making a way of salvation to those you have called. Send your Holy Spirit this morning to blow upon those that need and hear that great salvation. Thank you for sending your Son Jesus to pay that high penalty of sin. Though rebellious children in love you sent you sent your Son to earn our righteousness. And Jesus, we thank you for your love, your humility, and your obedience. For without them, we would be destitute, destined for wrath and death. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for blowing to and fro. Open our hearts and eyes this morning to see the Holy Scriptures with new, fresh, spiritual eyes. We pray this in the name of the Son. All of God's people said, Amen. Your wish is always, your desire is always for your children to love God, use their gifts to worship and praise Him. And so it's good to see that. What I do with my handkerchief, I lost it. I put it back in my pocket, I better get it out. I'm sorry. God is good. We teach the kids this phrase, God is good, and all the time, what are you clinging to? The title of this message is, let's get to it, is cling to the gospel. And as you can tell in our songs this morning, they were saturated with the gospel, what's important. That's very important to us here at OVBC, is that we use the words of scripture to sing. People cling to stuff, don't they? We love to cling. We love to hoard on to different types of things. There's ten superstitions that people cling to. I want to give you several of them. And, and if you're smiling, I know that that's probably one of your superstitions. Touching and knocking on one. Anyone ever do that one? You know, not to bring yourself bad luck or good luck. Crossing your fingers. Avoiding walking under a ladder. Not opening an umbrella inside. If you see a penny on the floor, what do you do? You pick it up, right. You can't walk past it. Breaking a mirror brings seven years of bad luck. Anyone living through that right now? That could explain some things maybe. You know, 13 being an unlucky number or just having a lucky number. You know, there's these things that we like. There's superstitions that we cling to. And we laugh about them because they're what? They're superstitions. But yet you'll see a lot of sports players where they wear the same socks or the same shorts or, or others who will do something similar, you know. They, they have their superstition and they cling to them. Maybe it's a man having a favorite shirt that you will not let your wife throw away. Or maybe your favorite chair or your child has that one toy or stuffed animal that you can't pry from their hands even to wash. It's the things that we cling on to. Many of us tend to cling 
to people and places and things. It can be our family, our career, our job, our financial security, retirement, or different types of pleasure uh, experiments and pleasure things. John C. Parkin writes, speaking of clinging, he says, maybe it's because we innately know that everything is impermanent or temporary and that we desperately cling, but cling we do. We know that our youth vanishes, that we and our loved ones will die one day, and that whatever we have accumulated can easily be taken away from us. And that one day our skills may not be wanted or they may fade, that a day may come when our love may not be reciprocated, but we go on clinging anyways. He goes on to write, everywhere we turn we are faced with that impertinence, that temporariness. The more we cling, of course, the more pain we feel when things fade and disappear and die around us. And sometimes the more we cling, the more these things happen. Have you found that to be the case? So there's the question I'm asking this morning. What are you clinging to? Your job, your family, your goals, or your happiness? Many of us are clinging to those types of things. I wanted you to cling on to something that's eternal. Something in which it doesn't fade, it doesn't fall away, it doesn't die away, but it will last for eternity. And that's the gospel. And that's what I'd like to share with you this morning. And so, Father, we ask now that you would do the work. That you bless this message, fill up what's ever lacking in my ability, Lord, and what's ever in our listening abilities. Lord, open our hearts blast the doors wide open. Lord, pound the soil that it may be fertile to hear your words. And may the Holy Spirit just blow in such a way that we all repent of our sin and turn and trust in you in a deeper way this morning, maybe some for the very first time. But we pray that your will would be done and we rejoice that you've given us your word, Lord, that we may respond with faith. We thank you for this in the name of your Son whom we glorify this morning. Amen. So what is it that you and I are to cling to? Well, I'm saying that we're to cling to the gospel. And we speak about the gospel this morning because of all days the world looks at Easter as a day of the resurrection, as a day of the crucifixion, the weekend, and of an empty tomb. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus are important events in Christianity. It is these events that separate Christianity from all other beliefs. And religion. There is no other major religion that makes such claims as the scriptures do concerning Jesus. Men and women have gone to their death in the belief that Jesus is not only a historical figure, but that he was the Son of God, that he was divine, that he was God himself, and that he died and was buried and he rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. The Apostle Paul relied only in this fact when he was teaching and preaching. For he says, when I come to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And we saw this last year when we looked at this passage. As Paul wasn't trying to be philosophical cute or, or try to be so wise and so abiding with his, his intellect and trying to reason with people. No, he said, I come to you knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
which again, as we know, to any other religion, to most people, is foolish. They don't understand it. Paul continued this theme in his letter to the church of Corinth, and you'll see this verse as we read 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, lest you believe in vain. For if you hold fast to the word I proclaim to you, unless for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for his sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. For Paul, there was nothing more important than the gospel, than the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that he raised again. And we may ask, then why is this so important? Why is the gospel important? Well, he says in Romans, For he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And that's what people are looking for. Everyone wants to be saved. They want to be saved from something. That's why they tend to cling to something. Because in that clinging, it saves them. Maybe not from eternity, not from maybe the things of sin, but it's something that gives them security. And that's what we're looking for. However, Scripture is telling us there's no security in anything except the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. You see, there was a serious problem in this Corinthian church. And he approached it in 2 Corinthians when he says, he says, I'm afraid from you that you're being led astray. For you're accepting a different gospel. You're accepting a different message of Jesus. And let me share you today, as we celebrate the gospel, as we celebrate Christ, and there are churches all across America and the world that are doing the same thing, there are many that are not sharing the true gospel. The gospel they're sharing may include a death, a burial, and a resurrection, but yet they miss the power of it. And so for you and I, if we're to cling to the gospel because it's the power of salvation, if we're to cling to the gospel because it's of first importance, then you and I need to understand what the gospel is. For that's the free gift and the only gift that's worth giving during any time of the year. And you and I need to understand it and know and embrace it and be willing to share with others. So I want to share with you, for many of you, this may be a review but it's important for us to understand it and accept it. For some of you, it may be new. But wherever you may come, you need to understand, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, number one, let me give you. The gospel is very simple. It's going to be four things. The first thing you need to understand, that God is perfect and holy. You got that right? Can you say that? God is perfect and holy. Read with that last three, four, four words. And we are not. And you can take the we out and put, I am not. See, the Bible tells us that if you and I want eternity, if we want a relationship with the Father, then we must be perfect even as Jesus or even as the Father is perfect. The Bible tells us that holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And according to the gospel primer, we can see that God is, should be the supreme object of our admiration for everything that you and I have comes from Him. Everything we're enjoying this morning is from Him. 
whether it's the air conditioning, the oxygen that we breathe, to the skin that holds us together. Thank God for skin. Have you done that lately? Everything is a gift from Him to us. And He is holy and He is perfect. But you and I are not. And so you and I need to understand first who God is. Unfortunately, I think most people do not understand who God is. We have not relegated Him to the holy standard that He should be. There is no fear of the Lord for the most part among people. And even then we want to reason away when He says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We don't want a God that we fear. We want a God that's nothing but love. He has a bag full of butterflies and unicorns and cotton candy that he's willing to give to his children if only you would ask. And if you don't ask, he'll just give it to you anyway because he knows exactly what you need. We're all looking for the grandfather. But let me tell you, God is a holy God. And until you and I come to that realization, we are going to be stuck clinging to a false gospel, to a false hope. The second thing you need to understand about the gospel is that there's a problem. You see, there's a problem. He is holy and perfect, and we are not. The problem is that you and I need our sins wiped out and not judged by God. For Scripture says that none is righteous, no, not one. And when he says no one, that means no one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. And let me tell you, in that instance, all means all. And that's what all means. Together it says they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And you say, wait a second, there are many of us that do good. And that is true. We do good to our own standard. But none to that holy and perfect standard of God. That's why he says, for all have come short of the glory of God. In Romans 1.18, he tells us this because of our sin, because of our rebellion against Him. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The Bible tells us that penalty of sin is death. So the problem that you and I have is we need our sins wiped out and not judged by God. And you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Where it's important for us to understand, because many of you may be saying, saying, wait a second, I don't have a problem with God. I'm all right with God. Me and God, we got a thing working out. We know exactly. I think I'm standing in good stem. Let me tell you, you may not have a problem with God, and you know where I'm going. God has a problem with you. And I know that can be offensive. And if it, and if it offends, then I'm going to offend away by saying that God has a problem with you. For he calls us disobedient children, children of wrath. Let me tell you, I was once that child, as many of you were. I was offensive to God. My very being, my very existence was a slap into his face when I said, no, I want to go my way. I want to do things my way. And instead of clinging to him as the object of my admiration, I looked for myself. I boasted in myself and sought to please myself. As I was, much many of you were also. And maybe some of you are still today. 
but there's a solution. That's the good news. The first one is kind of good news. The second one doesn't sound like good news because all it says is that we're all under judgment. And let me tell you, is appointed unto man once to die, then Scripture says what? Then after that is the judgment. We will stand before God. And He will say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer? But there is a solution found for our problem. Because I need my sins wiped out not to be judged, God sent His Son. The solution is found in Christ who suffers and bears our penalty and also earns our righteousness. That's what we celebrated Maudy Thursday and Good Friday and then the Sabbath rest and then this morning. Is you and I need a way out. We're all declared guilty. What you and I needed is to have everything declared innocent and absolved of our sin. And you and I understand this when Scripture says that through Jesus, you and I have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And so you and I, most of us, will know the phrase, I've been born again, I've accepted Jesus, He's forgiven me of my sin. And that is good news. But let me tell you, the new good news does not end with a solution in which He just bears our penalty. You see, because forgiveness is not enough. Do you understand that? Forgiveness is not enough. Because the end result that God wants is for you and I to stand with Him and be right with Him and to stand before a holy God, but we cannot. And forgiveness is an important piece of the puzzle. It's one side of the coin. But you and I understand that if someone trespasses against us, does something against us, hurts our feelings, does something evil against us, we forgive, do we not? But does that make the, the relationship right? We're usually still holding back, right? We say, uh-uh, I've learned once or twice from you there's still something about that relationship that is not right. So you and I, if we just had forgiveness of sins and had our penalty paid for, and he would say not guilty, you and I still would have a problem in the fact that we could not be with a holy God. And that's the other side of the coin when I say that not only does he suffer and bear our penalty by taking the iniquity of a sin and putting on him, for Scripture says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. A big word that means being made right with God, and that's what you and I need. And life for all men, Paul writes. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see, we need both God's forgiveness and Christ's righteousness. And let me share this with you. Here's what the cross and the resurrection does. At the cross, God took all of our sins and He placed it on Jesus. And then He looked at Him and He poured out His wrath on Christ. We sung about it in Christ alone. The wrath of God was satisfied. It's amazing to me how many churches have asked them, can we change that phrase from God's wrath satisfied? They don't like that. They don't want to think of God's 
wrath being satisfied. But without it, you and I are destitute. Without it, you and I are still just children that are under His wrath. We can ride it away and erase it, but it doesn't make it less so. The same way, there are many people that want to take the blood out of the hymnals, anything that's bloody. Christianity is a bloody religion. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, praise God, it is a bloody religion. Because without it being a bloody religion, it would be my blood, it would be my soul that would bear God's wrath. And when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that time when God's wrath was being poured out of him as he was seeing my sin on him. Not that he did any sin. The Bible tells us that he knew no sin. That he was righteous and that he was perfect. But God looked on him and looked at the iniquity of my sin. And in it, Jesus bore the penalty of my sin. But not only did God take my sin and then place it on Christ, but then He took the 33 plus years that Christ lived and, and He took all of His righteousness, that God takes Christ's perfect obedience and then He puts it on me. Someone says it's justified just as I've never sinned. I don't really like that phrase because it, 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 it kind of gives a different connotation. But what it is, is God looks at me and He no longer sees my sin, but He sees Christ's righteousness. He does it on account of what Jesus did for me. And that's God's solution. You see, that's what we have. We have all these religions, all these people running around trying to make themselves right with God, whether that's their mindset or not. They're trying to make themselves right. But let me tell you, there's only one solution. And that's for ours to have our sin paid for by Christ and given Christ's righteousness. We need both God's forgiveness and Christ's righteousness. Which leads me to my fourth point on this section. It's the gospel is the response of our need to repent and turn towards God in faith. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So must I believe in the resurrection to be saved? Yes, you do. For without it, you're still dead. There is no power in salvation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? And so you say, well, what is it that needs to be done? Very simple. We see the perfection of God. We see the problem is we are not and we need to have our sins forgiven or we will be judged by God. So God sends a solution to a problem. And he says, I'll send Christ to pay your penalty. And in the same way, he'll give you your righteousness so you and I can stand right together with God and we can have union together. And the way that that happens is when you and I respond in repenting from our dead works. And let me share with you what that means. That means recognizing that trying to earn our salvation or do good works to make ourselves right with God is futile. It has no bearing. We will come up short time and time again. 
and with us, if we come before him and say, listen, look at all that I've done, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Unless the wind blows, we will not have the Spirit in our hearts to see Him. And so we repent of those dead works, and we turn and we put our trust, our faith in Him. That's what faith is. It's a confident transfer of trust. Instead of trusting in myself, I trust in what Christ did. And that's my call for you this morning. The gospel is the power of salvation. And the gospel is simply the fact that God is God. We are men who are condemned, but yet God sent Christ to be the problem solver for us so that He could earn our salvation for us and, and pay that penalty. And you and I are to respond in that confident transfer of trust. That's the gospel. That's what's of first importance. That's when I want to challenge you this morning to cling to it as if it was your favorite bunny rabbit or blanket or whatever it was as you were a child. Hold on to it with dear life, for it is yours, and He has given it to us. It truly is that security blanket. But you may ask, but why the cross? The Bible tells us that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. To the Jew, they would say, no way, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Well, praise God, yes, that is true. Christ need to be cursed. To the Gentile or to those of us that would say the cross, we would say, that makes no sense. Why the cross? Let me share with you why the cross. There's three things. The importance of Christ suffering on that cross was that he bore God's wrath. And that's what you and I needed. For Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It says, all, like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every way, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we've now been justified by his blood. How much more will we be saved from the wrath? The importance of Christ suffering on that cross was the fact that it was he bore God's wrath. And so the cross is important. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus must not be dismissed. As foolish or as difficult or as hard as it is to believe, you and I must embrace the suffering of Christ on the cross. The importance of Christ, number two, dying, was that he bore the penalty of sin. And let me share you that Jesus had to die. There are many who have so many different ways of saying, well, Jesus kind of just kind of swooned, and so he didn't really die. Or some, what was the one? An identical brother of Jesus, the hidden one. Jesus was so busy, there was two of them, and they just took turns doing healing and doing miracles. How silly. People will go to all sorts of wild theories to just try to demolish the one that's true. But dying, he bore the penalty of sin because the wages of sin is death. For you and I to be right with God, God's wrath had to be satisfied. God is a God of justice, just as he is a God of mercy and of love. Romans tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. That's unbelievable to me. For he says, God showed his love for us. And while we were still sinners, when we were still rebellious, when we were still children of disobedience, then he died for us. 
not after. The Bible goes on to tell us that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So the importance of Christ dying was that He bore the penalty of sin. He must. Something had to die. And Christ said, I'll do that. And then we see the importance of Christ rising from the dead as we celebrate this morning. The importance of Christ rising from the dead was that He gave you and I life. Colossians chapter 2, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I would encourage you to underline this passage of Scripture. I would really encourage you to memorize it. For this is one of the greatest verses that you and I ought to share. For it is that verse. Remember when we sung, As He stands in victory... This is that verse right here, or Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. Underline that, circle that. This is the rejoicing that you and I have today. Without a resurrection, you and I would have no hope. We would have no life. But He says, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to that cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. What Christ did is now given to you and I. And the importance of Christ rising from the dead is that he gave us life. That's what you and I need to cling to. It. That's our hope. And in this, we see that Christ was obedient through all of this. And it's through Christ's obedience that you and I are now made right with God. When someone says, well, how can I be made right with a holy God? How can I enter in through heaven? It's the gospel. For we are justified or made right by God by His grace as a gift. It is not something that you and I can earn or buy, or get on our own. But it comes to the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus, Scripture says, whom God put forward as a propitiation, and hold on to that word, propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation is another big one that people want to get rid of. But we need to hold on to these words, for they hold weighty meaning. Propitiation simply is the fact that it carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction. It's a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to them. You and I do this all the same way. Is there's no propitiation. in way in which we are now satisfied that someone who has harmed us or done ill will towards us is now satisfied. We feel that we've gotten justice been served and we now move them in the right uh, uh, relationship. Now that's difficult to do in marriage. That's hard to do in human relationships, is it not? We always talk about forgiving and forgetting, right? We forgive easily, we forget hard. But for Christ it doesn't. For God says, I forget those things. As far as the east is from the west, I remove your sins. He says, I put them in the deepest ocean, and I remember them no more. Amen? See, that's the gospel that you and I need to cling to. Listen to this. 
And this is a sad note. This was this week. Former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, many of you know him, billionaire. He's an, activi an activist for a number of causes. And as a result, he believes that he is a shoe-in for heaven. He's not going to have any problems when he gets to the almighty, perfect God. The New York Times reports pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation. He said with a grin, speaking of Michael Bloomberg, he said, quote, I am telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. So when he gets to gate, instead of God or Peter or whomever, says, why should I let you into heaven? They're going to say, oh, it's Michael Bloomberg. Everyone, get the palm leaves. Let's come down. Here he comes. Those who were obese are now skinny. Those who now smoke, now those who drunk 32 ounces of sodas are now drinking vegetable juice, you know? All those types of things. See, the world he envisions seems more like hell than heaven to me. But he wants to say, if there is a heaven, God is letting me straight through. Why? Because I've done good works. We laugh, but put up a mirror. See, he's clinging to self-works, self-righteousness, self-justification. His clinging is going to lead to his death. And when, not if, he meets a holy God, there will be no heads up, look at me, look what I've done. He is going to fall prostrate before a holy God in total fear still rejecting the Holy One. I pray that, he, that God will open his heart before that time. But so are many of us and many of you at one time or another. Today I implore you to respond by trusting in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ to be right with God. For John has written, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. To many, Christ is a solution to a problem. He's a therapist or a source of moral conduct, but he's not really a savior. They see the gospel as a quaint story or something that's intolerant of people's lifestyles and choices. But let me end with this. Cling to the gospel of Christ. Accept no substitutes. As the psalmist says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I'd ask with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. As you just contemplate the words that I gave you this morning. What are you clinging to? Are you clinging to your own righteousness and your own goodness? Is your heart and your mind fighting with me this morning and through the whole message? Have you been struggling with this? Have you been finding ways in which you can find errors in my speaking or in the Word? Or have you found yourself saying, Lord, so such am I. 
wherever you may find yourself, whatever you cling to, would you repent of that? And would you turn and trust in the gospel? For it is the power of salvation to all who believe. Would you call on the one who suffered and died and rose so that we may be right before God? Father, we ask for this. May your power be visible this morning. Let your spirit flow freely in opening our hearts to this truth. Lord, may we not find sleep or rest until we know the answer. Where will I spend eternity? If I were to say to you, why should I let you in my heaven? Lord, what would our answer be? Lord, let us grasp this real truth. And Father, if there's those that are here that have not clinged to that, let them cling to it this morning. For those that say they have, but Lord, they find that their grips have been loosening and they're doubting, Lord, strengthen them and strengthen their resolve. And for those that may hear and heard this word and are holding on tightly and rejoicing in the truth, Lord, I pray that they would now just share that with others. Father, that we may save many from the same error, not of not only ourselves, but even the former mayor of New York. May we never justify ourselves, but stand before you justified by your Son. We pray this in the name of your Son, who through his love for us, through his humility in, in becoming flesh, and his obedience to death, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.